This is episode number 06 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome on to another episode. This is Jesse Mundell. And this is Anita Lambert. And today we want to share with you what pelvic health physios actually do. Who should see one? What are the benefits? What are the myths around also some common pelvic floor issues? So along the way, we're also going to share our personal experiences seeing pelvic health physiotherapists. And even though I am one, yes, I have seen one as well, because um, you can't really treat yourself. Um, and then we're going to be sharing along the way also um, client experiences, as well as um, myself as a physiotherapist, uh, common issues I see along the way. So why don't we start with some, co- what are some co- common pelvic floor issues um, that so many women are told are just a normal part of life? So if you answer yes to any of the following uh, statements that I say, it's just meaning that your pelvic floor and core may not be working as well as it could. So if this sounds familiar, so I leak when I cough, sneeze, or exercise. I leak when I don't make it to the bathroom on time. I often rush to get to the bathroom to avoid leaking. I pee just in case. I pee more than 10 times a day. I feel pressure in my vagina or rectum area. I feel like my insides are falling out. Things just don't feel right down there. Sex is painful. My back pain, hip pain, pelvic pain just won't go away. And I'm constipated no matter how much fiber I eat or water I drink. So if any of those sound familiar, and there's actually other symptoms as well, but those are the common ones, um, it may mean that your pelvic floor needs um, a little bit more uh, TLC. And what you may have found, maybe your doctor or midwife, or maybe if you searched on Dr. Google, Um, You may have been told, just go home, do some Kegels, that'll kind of solve everything. Um, But in the end, did anyone really explain where these muscles are and what do they do? Because most women haven't really been shown really what these muscles are. You get told that you have these Kegel muscles, but do you know a lot about them? So we thought we would kind of go right into that. So Jess, if you're good with explaining this pelvic floor, core canister, what is it? Where are they? What do they do? Yes, I think this is so key because often we might still be thinking that the core itself is just the abdominal muscles, just even our six-pack abdominal muscles. We might not know where the pelvic floor even is in our body or how it even works. So the way that we like to describe pelvic floor and the core canister, it's basically one unit. It is the trunk of our body starting from the diaphragm, which is up in our rib cage, you might hear this being referred to as your breathing muscle. This is essential for our core function. It really starts way up here in the top of the core canister in our rib cage. 
I always like to say this is the top of the core. The bottom of the core is actually our pelvic floor. I wish we could show you it with a pelvic model right now. It is sometimes easier to see, but if you just even Google pictures of the pelvic floor or pelvic floor anatomy, sometimes it helps to register in your brain where that part of your body actually is and what it looks like to a certain extent. So the top of the core canister is the diaphragm. The bottom of the core canister is your pelvic floor. It is the base of the pelvis. It is soft, squishy, lax. It can gain lots of tension. It can release tension. It is soft connective tissue, so it is not bones. These are muscles and connective tissues. And then I tell people, just for a very simplified understanding, that the front and the sides and the back of the core canister, those are our abdominal and back muscles. So we have a top, the diaphragm, the bottom, the pelvic floor, and then all the stuff surrounding the front sides and back, that is the abdominal muscles and the back muscles supporting all of it. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a really great visual because yes, it is hard because we can't show you a visual um, through the podcast. Um, but yeah, that idea of this deep canister in you, and that's really your deep um, core support system. And these muscles, I like to talk about too with the pelvic floor, a lot of pelvic floor issues, like if you're leaking urine where you're coughing, sneezing, laughing, the assumption is that it's just your pelvic floor and that's the only issue. But what Jess and I want to get across is that it's actually your core canister is what we need to look at the whole picture, not just your pelvic floor. Because if we just isolate those muscles, we're missing part of the picture. Would you agree, Jess, or how do you kind of explain what your core canister does to your coaching clients? Mm -hmm. Exactly that. Yeah, we're not just looking at one specific muscle group. We're not just looking at the diaphragm or just the pelvic floor or just your transverse abdominus. If you Google diastasis recti, that diastasis or that transverse word is probably going to be thrown at you a million times. But it's not just those in isolation. It is really looking at that whole whole chunk of the body, the whole core canister, the timing, the coordination of this whole system, how you are managing the pressure that's being housed inside this canister, all of that is what we need to address. And that's why we're not just prescribing Kegels and crunches at you to fix your body post-pregnancy mm -hmm. or during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And a common um, element that both Jess and I have in our core um, work when we work with clients is breathing. Like the diaphragm, I don't know if you find this, Jess, but I feel like when clients come to me and they've done pelvic floor core work, the diaphragm aspect has actually been missing. So actually how to breathe to actually help activate your pelvic floor and core. And I talk to clients initially, it feels like you're that idea of like, what is it, patting your head and rubbing your tummy or the opposite, like it will feel very foreign um, and a lot of focus initially. So that's why you can't necessarily do core and pelvic floor work initially while you're driving in your car. Because once you actually learn how to either activate or release these muscles, it's actually a lot of focus initially. So you can't really multitask while you're, while you're doing this. Mm -hmm. And this is also why the cues that often come up in our industry, especially in fitness and strength training of brace your core and pull your belly button to spine, this is not usually an ideal way to quote unquote engage your core and pelvic floor muscles because we have to take this breathing aspect and the load of whatever exercise or challenge you're doing into how the core and pelvic floor are going to function during it. 
And so I think a good, um, good kind of answer to give next is a question I commonly get asked because a lot of people aren't sure, okay, as a pelvic health or a pelvic floor physiotherapist, um, how is it different than a quote unquote regular physiotherapist, right? Because a lot of people do see physiotherapists for a variety of things, whether it's knee pain, shoulder pain, neck pain. So what's, what's really the difference and to kind of add on to what we just talked about pelvic floor and core. So I can speak from a Canadian perspective. Every country is going to be slightly different. So just keeping that in mind. Um, so in Canada, um, how it works to become a pelvic health physiotherapist is initially you have to become a registered physiotherapist. So there's a four-year undergree required, and then you take a two-year two master's degree in physiotherapy. Um, and within the, the physiotherapy school system, there was a little bit about um, kind of women's health, uh, very little about public health. So a lot of the training is actually done post-grad. So after we graduate and have been working. Um, and then there's courses throughout Canada um, with a few specific companies that you can take. And you they're very focused on public floor and core. So you learn how to do a proper internal assessment um, as well as treatment and very specific and focused on all these public floor issues that we've talked about. So just so you're aware of the differences. So as a public health physiotherapist, I do treat head to toe. Um, and I didn't come out of school and go right into public health physiotherapy. So initially, I just treated externally. Um, so it's not uncommon that I'll have a client come in who is having leaking while they exercise and also has neck pain, and we're addressing both of them. So it's really looking at the body as a whole and adding on the pelvic floor and core um, knowledge and information um, on top of all the external, we call it orthopedic physiotherapy uh, work as well. Mm, yeah, that's a great description. I have a question for you. A lot of my clients still are confused as to what the difference is between pelvic health, regular physio, a lot of them are U.S. based and are fighting to get coverage to see a pelvic health physio. They often need to tell their doctor a specific story in order to get that referral. Much different than a regular physio. Um, often they're just referred super easily, but with pelvic health, it seems like they have to have a really good reason for their healthcare provider to care. So... Are you seeing that in Canada or different situation? So it is different, but it's different because in Canada, so to see a registered physiotherapist for anything, you don't necessarily need a referral from your doctor. If you're under the OHIP system, which it's pretty rare to be able to see a physiotherapist for OHIP. Um, there's quite a few rules in place, and I actually I get questions about that often. There is one public health physiotherapist in my area who is at an OHIP clinic, so you could see her, but again, there's rules. You have to be under 19, over 65, spent the night in the hospital. So in Canada here, or I should say in Ontario, because OHIP is in Ontario uh, public health coverage, um, there's rules in place. And so technically here to see public health physiotherapists, unless your extended health benefits require referral from your doctor you don't actually need a referral to see a physiotherapist um, including a public health physiotherapist so i would say it's less common here just because we don't actually need that the client doesn't need that whereas i know in the us um, and some other countries 
the physiotherapist really has to, um, it's a lot even more paperwork than here to prove why that person needs to see a physiotherapist. So I think it's different just because the rules are different around um, physiotherapy. Mm-hmm. So I think if it were the same rules around having coverage, then I'm not sure it would be a whole lot different. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't have that. I can't I can't really say for sure. Um, it definitely is becoming more known. I know for clients coming in who further um, extended health benefits, um, if they need a referral from their doctor, it's been pretty rare I've heard a doctor say no, um, but not to say it couldn't, it could happen. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest someone say to their doctor to convince them that they should and want to be able to see public health physio? Well, there's definitely evidence, um, especially towards and high level evidence towards seeing um, a public health physiotherapist having specific pelvic floor retraining if you're having incontinence or prolapse, um, pelvic pain, back pain. Um, So that is out there. So some need to, you know, bring evidence to their care provider to let them know that um, would be one of the probably one of the best, best ways to go. But I think often if you're voicing these concerns that you have and that you actually have symptoms um, that technically should be enough. Like your care provider should want you to work towards healing from whatever it is. Right. Whereas, you know, if you went to your doctor and said, you know, I've been having this knee pain going for a long time. Could I get a physio referral? Again, that's pretty rare. They'll say no. So if you're going to your doctor and saying I'm leaking every time, you know, I cough and I sneeze and I exercise, you would hope they would also say, okay, you know, physio would be a good um, conservative treatment to help with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. A lot of uh, my clients are in situations exactly like that, where they are telling their doctor that they need this referral. Their doctor is telling them, why don't you just wait a couple of more months? Why don't you wait until you're six months postpartum? Why don't you try to do some more Kegels in the meantime and we'll see how it goes? And they are often mm-hmm. fighting for themselves to be taken seriously. So if you need to do that, keep doing that and really stand up for yourself in these situations mm-hmm. because I always tell my clients to oh, just a handful of sessions with a public health physio can make all the difference mm-hmm. in your life, in your world. It's not like you're going to be seeing this person probably like three times a week for the next two years of your life. Not the case. No, no. Um, yeah, I would I would say that's a good point, too, is um, for pelvic health issues, you're not seeing a public health physiotherapist multiple times a week or even every week. Um, but I still think there's just a lot of education that needs to happen because there's still just a lot of assumptions around just do some Kegels um, and that will solve the world of public floor issues, where if, if it really was that easy we wouldn't have the statistics we do of the amount of women who leak and have prolapse and pelvic pain, all the different issues. So I think that's also something to think about too. If Kegels did solve it, then uh, yeah, it wouldn't be as much of a common issue. Let's talk about some common pelvic floor myths and we'll give you a bit of background information on each one once we bust these myths. So number one, if you are pregnant or have had children, it's normal to have incontinence, urine leakage. That's just the way it's going to be forever. Once you had a baby, my clients are still being told this information. They're going to their healthcare provider telling them that they are leaking. It is that that's okay. It 
probably will go away on its own or it might not and that's just because you've had a baby now what do you say to that i say that that's a big false um it does there are times where some um i know some women i've talked to have said yeah they had a little bit initially the first couple weeks and then it totally went away um i'd say when it starts to be lasting weeks and months it's not as often that that will just go away right I try to tell clients it's that same idea. If you had like back pain and nagging back pain that, that no one would think twice about you going to get help for that. Right. Um, it would then be your choice if you want to get help for it and other factors involved too, if you're able to access that kind of healthcare. Um, but no one thinks twice, but then when we have these pelvic floor issues, like it's just one of those things where like, meh, like you're pregnant, you've had a kid. That's just the way it is. Um, and while these issues are common and you'll hear also from other generations that it's common. So maybe your aunts or your mom or your grandma has gone through it and they might be telling you, well, yeah, that's happening to me. That's just kind of the way it is. Maybe I'll get surgery later. Maybe I won't. Um, I find our generation is, is kind of stepping up and, and now that there is more evidence, right? This wasn't necessarily available. This knowledge wasn't necessarily available years or decades ago. So now that we do have it with our generation, um, taking this knowledge and running with it and, you know, sharing it with others um, so that it's common, but doesn't need to be your new normal is kind of how I like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think that's perfect for people to hear. This next one is something that rings true to me and a lot of people that I'm speaking with as well. And that is if you have had children, your pelvic floor muscles must be stretched out and weak. So often people are thinking that say they are having pelvic floor symptoms after delivery, they are leaking, they're told to do Kegels, they're told their pelvic floor muscles are weak and that's why these issues are coming up. But again, false not the case. What else is happening here? If you think of any muscle, right? So if you're listening to this and let's say you've been to massage or even if you haven't, if you've had someone kind of press on muscles, if you've kind of had a knot in your back, that kind of thing, there's tenderness there. And that's just a sign there's some tension in those muscles. Well, that happens on the inside because our pelvic floor, like Jess talked about off the top, these are muscles that exist on the inside. So they attach from your pubic bone in the front back to your tailbone and then side to side from sit bone to sit bone. So it's this kind of diamond shaped three layers of muscles um, that exist underneath. And so what can happen, just like they can be weak and lax, they can actually be tense like any other muscle. And it's actually pretty common after a cesarean birth. I'd say I'd see more tension um, after a cesarean birth. And if you've had stitching or tearing, um, you can have tension there. And even if you haven't had any of that, those muscles can still actually be tense. Um, so this is definitely a big false. I would say in my practice, my physiotherapy practice, I see a lot more tension in pelvic floor muscles than weak and loose uh, muscles. And 100% my personal experience with this as well, more so tightness and tension, and it's kind of been my backstory for years and years, which leads us into our third myth that we wanted to touch on. If you haven't had children, your pelvic floor muscles must be doing their job. So I remember as a gymnast back in my early teens when I was leaking on landings from tumbling runs or dismounts from the beam or the bars, 
and we never spoke about the pelvic floor at all in those circles as well but I know even I get comments and questions from people who are exercising people who are power lifters and they are leaking and they haven't been pregnant or they haven't had children I see uh, a number of clients in my practice who haven't had um, kids yet and who do have issues whether it's pelvic pain so it's internal pain whether with intercourse or tampon use that kind of thing or leaking so I would say probably the common ones I see are if I have girls coming in kind of in their teenage years um, and if they're athletic it's often horseback riding gymnastics dance those are the common ones and at that age we're going to talk about a bit what an assessment involves with a public health physiotherapist at that age we're not doing an internal assessment um and we don't necessarily need to um just from their history and again without having had children it's very very rare that those muscles will be loose so from gathering information um from the assessment it's often that these muscles are tense and we can work on things externally to help relax those muscles and it's pretty awesome to see and hear about the changes that happen um and i think too that for them to get this information at an early age like you know 10 11 um that i'm just thinking wow this is going to set them up for success later they've had this knowledge about these muscles ahead of time um and they're going to understand that these are muscles you don't need to you know they don't need to be stigmatized or not talked about they're just muscles and they now know how to actually use them better at an early age yeah that is so huge i think exactly what you said too about it not being stigmatized for them to learn this part of their body so early as well too and i even think back to when i was 10 11 12 in physio constantly for lower back and SI joint pain from gymnastics and nothing helped. And I would just mm -hmm. wonder if we had have addressed it from different angles, how different things would have been and then how different it would have been leading into my twenties and then leading into my first pregnancy. It's just really interesting to consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from a personal experience before, um, before I was pregnant and even before I became a public health physiotherapist, like I did have my pelvic floor checked because I would refer to others. Um, and growing up as a dancer and as an athlete, I too, I had tension in my pelvic floor um, and had to learn how to release that and let that go. And I think of all these years um, of thinking it was more, I had tension, it was my right side in particular. Okay, I have a tight hip on that side, whereas I'm like, Nope, it was actually referring from my pelvic floor um, why I was actually having that issue in the first place with, uh, with different activities. So it's just, I think it's good to have this awareness and just normalizing these muscles um, at any age is just going to help also the next generation. Mm -hmm. So this is a question that I get asked a ton from people. What actually happens? in a pelvic physiotherapy assessment and treatment people are nervous they're confused can you talk us through what you might actually do with someone when they come in to see you yes so i think that's a really good question um and i get asked this a lot all the time as well um if you've been to physiotherapy for anything else before it is similar in many aspects. So we are initially going to talk about, you know, chat about the history around your goals, your concerns, your medical history, your injury history. Um, and also if you've given birth before, it's important. I feel like it's important for me to know as your physiotherapist, what your births were like, 
Um, and physically, so was there tearing, episiotomy, cesarean, that kind of thing. But I also want to know the emotional side because especially moms coming to see me soon after birth, if there's emotions and, you know, parts of their birth that haven't been processed yet, that can actually affect their um, their treatment and how, how they're healing. So definitely a big part um, that I talk about and most public health physiotherapists should. Um and then we're looking at, on the outside, we're looking at posture, we're looking at spinal mobility, so how your body moves, how your joints move, muscle tension in general, but also in the muscles that connect into your pelvis. So we'll be checking out kind of tension, you know, in your inner thighs, in your glutes, in your hips. And we explain all this as we go. And I always want my clients to know why I'm checking things um, and how it's going to relate to their goals and concerns. We also check diastesis, so checking if you have an abdominal separation, what that tissue is actually like. So you'll get real information because I do have a lot of clients come either saying someone told them they have a diastesis or they Googled and they think they have one, but they are not quite sure. So I can confirm um, what's actually going on. And if you've had a cesarean birth, so like Jess, um, if you would see me afterwards, I'd be scar, obviously, if that's something you're comfortable with. And I explain how that scar, where it's situated, how it's going to affect that core canister we initially talked about. Because I find often the scar is not addressed. And I'm sure you can attest to this. Um, and on our next episode, we're going to be talking about cesarean birth recovery. And the scar, if there's tension around that scar, that's going to affect how that core canister can work. So we want to see where you're at when you start. Um, then the next co um, component of the assessment is actually the internal part. And so I have what just talked about is this pelvic model with muscles on it. And so even before we do an internal, I'm showing the client, you know, where I'm going to be pressing, what I'm asking you, getting feedback the whole time, and the client needs to consent that this is okay to do. So it's different than a pap exam in terms of much gentler, there's no stirrups, no speculum, um, and we're not pushing into pain. There is none of that going on, and I make sure that's clear. The other thing to note is if you're nervous about seeing a public health physio because you're concerned about the internal, because you have pain, which this is not uncommon, I always let clients know we do not have to do an internal at the assessment or at any treatment. There's lots we can do from the outside, and if or when you feel comfortable, then we can do the internal component. So I really don't want anyone listening to this um, for that part to stop you from seeing a public health physio. Anyone you see should have the knowledge and education that they can actually treat externally um, until you feel comfortable going internally, if that does happen um, with that. So something definitely to know. And really, internally, what we're checking is we're checking the muscle. So strength, we're checking your coordination, but even before that, we're checking tension. So going back to this part that Jess and I talked about is is there tension in these muscles? So if there's tenderness anywhere we're pressing around the outside of the vaginal opening, internally in the pelvic floor, we address that first. We don't jump to strength. Um, the idea, if you kind of picture your arm doing a bicep curl, if you're already mostly curled in your bicep curl, and then you try to you know, curl more, it's not going to change what's happening with those muscles. So we want to release the muscles. So release your bicep curl before you strengthen. Um, so that's what we're checking internally, and we'll also check prolapse too. So if the bladder uterus or rectum is sitting lower, that's something we can check for. And if you have any scarring or tearing vaginally, we will check that as well. 
So afterwards, um, at the end of the session, we come back together and we start talking about bringing the external and internal component of the assessment um, together towards um, their goals. So putting together a plan of what's going to address what their needs are um, and planning from there. And then also there may be some treatment in the assessment as well, whether external or internal um, with that. And so to really talk about treatment wise, it is gonna depend on the physiotherapist because we all have similar base training um, in orthopedics and public health, but then there are so many courses we can all take. So everyone's gonna have different techniques and strategies they use. So just go over just a couple that I end up using. Um, so externally often use, you know, myofascial release. So getting into different muscles that may be contributing to their issues. Um, we go over definitely posture. So you'll hear Jess and I talk about ribs over pelvis a lot. Um, and so going over different strategies to help with issues that they're going through day to day. Um, internally, it may be in terms of um, pelvic floor release techniques or strengthening techniques. And then from there, bringing that into movement. And I think that's the biggest misconception is that you'll you may get told you're going to see public health physiotherapists. They're just going to tell you to lie down and do Kegels and that will be it. And that definitely is another myth. Um, it should be another myth. Um, your physiotherapist should be doing progressing things much beyond that. So there are some clients where initially I am having them focus on how to either release or activate that inner core canister. And that might be a big step for them. And that's where we're starting. But if their goal is they want to get back to running without leaking, doing that alone is not going to be enough. So then from there, in subsequent sessions, then we keep building towards getting back to those specific activities with different strategies. So there's definitely steps in place um, to get you back to your goal. So it won't necessarily be you're going to go see someone once and that initial um kind of information, exercises, strategies for home, just going once and just doing that off the bat, depending on what your goal is, may not be enough. Um, but just to know when you see a physio for anything, it should always be gearing back towards your goal. So those are some of the different techniques. Um, often you will have exercises to do at home. It is called physical therapy for a reason. Um, but again, there's day-to-day -day strategies you need to also do with exercises. It can't just be one or the other. Um, and everything given to you by a physiotherapist should have a purpose. Um, again, always towards your goals. And if you don't understand why you're given something, ask. I tell my clients, I always reaffirm with them why they're doing the things they're doing and if they have questions. So does, is that helpful, Jess? Was there anything you felt like? That's um, great. Answer. Okay. Three things, especially that I love that you said. Number one, this is consent based. If mm -hmm. there is anything that you are uncomfortable with, you can speak up and you can tell the physio exactly that. And this is always, uh, it's always for your benefit and it should always be 
The treatment and the assessment should be happening in a realm of which you are comfortable with. Number two, you do not want to invoke pain in people. You are not, this is not going to be a session where they're highly uncomfortable. There might be some moments of discomfort when you are doing your assessment or treatment, but really it's probably more information for you in those scenarios and you're not going to push them to the point of pain in any situation Mm -hmm. and just like Mm -hmm. in the fitness industry how pain and suffering is not a good indicator of a good workout it's also not a good indicator that you are seeing progress in your pelvic Mm -hmm. floor health and number three i know some people are nervous that if they go see a pelvic health physio they're going to tell them now you have to stop running and jumping and doing all the fun things you love to do not the case either you want them to be able to do the things they love to do in a way that is safe and optimal and effective for their body and their minds. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point because um, oftentimes it may mean modifying certain movements or I also make it clear that currently if we can do this instead, but my goal is to get you back to X, Y, and Z, right? So always knowing that it's not that we're taking this out or taking it out forever. It may mean that your body needs A, B, and C to get you to X, Y, Z. Um, And I think that was really good as well that you brought up about the pain. So my motto is it's not a no pain, no gain. Because I think some clients coming in with pain to think, okay, I've just got to push through this. And I explain, you know, how our nervous system works, our brain, our spinal cord, and the nerves coming out. We need our brain to understand that... um, certain movements um, or events happening are not going to cause us pain. So a lot of clients who come in with pain with intercourse, um, if we're doing an internal assessment um, and I'm just pushing through that pain, it's reaffirming to their brain that anything internal is a bad thing. So I'm constantly getting feedback from the client. If there's any tenderness, any discomfort, I'm teaching them how to breathe to release that tenderness. Um, and yeah, we're not pushing into pain. So definitely you shouldn't be leaving in more pain. Um, and just leaving with, as you said, a lot of education on why the pain is happening and how we're going to address it. So should you only see a pelvic floor physiotherapist after birth or other times in your life during pregnancy, when you're trying to conceive in my scenario, in my first pregnancy, I did not go to physio and I only went postpartum. It was extremely helpful for me postpartum, especially because I was recovering from a C-section. I was going to go however the birth went and my appointment was pre-booked months in advance and that's something I also recommend you do, especially if you're trying to see someone like Anita who is booked for months in advance. That was really helpful for me so we could do some work on the scar tissue from that C-section and also just address some other areas in my body that were holding tension and I was having some discomforts with. Of course, if you've had a vaginal birth, there's so much that we can do postpartum during those times with your pelvic health physio to get you back on a path that you feel really confident and capable in your body that you're addressing any tearing that might have occurred during birth any leaking any prolapse symptoms why would someone go during Mm -hmm. pregnancy Mm -hmm. so i definitely think postpartum public health physiotherapy is come a lot farther than the awareness of going in pregnancy and why i think pregnancy is super important is because if you can get this awareness of the pelvic floor and core 
going into birth, a lot of clients and myself included, I found I had a, um, I found it just helps with labor birth and to get a head start on your postpartum recovery. So especially first time moms going into birth, there's nothing or little to nothing talked about in terms of the pelvic floor or even awareness, right? In terms of even where these muscles are. Um, so I think that's a big part is my first time moms going in, they have this awareness that a lot of their friends didn't. So they learn how to release and relax the pelvic floor. They also, if they don't have any tension, they learn how to engage and release the pelvic floor. And then they get this kind of checklist to do after birth and it's nothing strenuous but it's this idea if you know where your posture can be to help with your recovery if you know how to release your pelvic floor and core and activate it you can start these things they're small but they can make a big difference you can start doing them after you give birth um, before you check in with the physio again so it just gives you a head start on your postpartum recovery and can lead to a more comfortable pregnancy because a lot of um, pregnancy issues so whether it's pain or leaking again pelvic floor and core related so why not get that addressed in pregnancy and actually have a more comfortable uh, pregnancy experience um, so that's something I've been seeing happen a lot more and it's super fun to work with clients in, in pregnancy and then just to see their um, recovery uh, have a better start and just the knowledge they have is amazing um, to help also others that they know who didn't necessarily get that head start. And what about for someone who is trying to conceive or thinking about conceiving, say within the next six months to a year? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of where my head was at, um, kind of getting my pelvic floor checked even before we were thinking about trying to have kids or anything like that. And I look at it as in why not check that the foundation of your house is in the best order you can get before you then build your house? So before you put a baby in there. And so that idea, because often I find first time moms tend to have tension in their pelvic floor. So if we can get that pelvic floor to know how to release, how to strengthen, kind of how to bounce, especially if you're going to be doing jumping, running, that kind of thing, um, that can just help with your pregnancy experience. Um, and sometimes too, when I see clients who are going through uh, fertility challenges, that is a stressful time. And when we talk about the nervous system and how that's related to your pelvic floor, it can, it can kind of be a cycle of um, tension in the pelvic floor. So again, if we can work on stress and releasing that tension, that may help with your fertility journey as well. So there's just so many, um, benefits and I'm seeing that a lot more as well is having uh, clients come in and they're they may just be coming in for an assessment because they're not thinking of having kids for you know a few years um, they don't have any symptoms but they just want that their friends are telling them look find out about these muscles just to then get ahead of issues that maybe their friends went through um, so I've been seeing that happen a lot more which is really exciting because I think the more we know about these muscles how we talked about before, there won't be the stigma around them. Um, and it could lead to um, more comfortable pregnancies and more awareness going into birth and then postpartum recovery. We wanted to wrap up what we talked about today. So to remember, it's never too early or too late um, to see a public health physiotherapist and either resolve any of the symptoms that we talked about off the top um, or just getting awareness of these muscles ahead of time if you don't have any issues that you think are related. 
be sure to check out the show notes with any resources um, that we talked about today that can help you regardless of where you are, um, whether it's preconception, you're pregnant, or you're postpartum as well. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about recovery from a cesarean birth, what to do in the immediate postpartum period, how you might return to movement and exercise, and what can be key in the mental and emotional processing of that birth. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 